and welcome back to Sprouting Conversations. This is your podcast for youth from youth. My name is Alora and I'll be hosting today's episode. I'm newer to the podcast and I had my first introduction on the most recent episode with Laja a few weeks ago and we were talking about community food support. During that conversation, we dipped a little bit into talking about food waste, and today I'll be talking with a friend to take a bit of a deeper dive specifically into that topic. So today I'll be chatting with Megan, a good friend of mine, but before we jump right into that, I will take a minute to more thoroughly introduce myself. So my name's Alora, and I use she or they pronouns. I'm a settler, and I've spent most of my life living on Treaty 1 territory in what's now known as Winnipeg. I have Dutch, British, and Irish ancestry, and I've been here on the Kwangan territory for the past four years. During most of this time, I've been a student, and I've been engaged in organizing around food and food waste on some level almost since I first moved here. And some of this work has been pretty casual, and some of it has been a lot more structured. But with that being said, I wanted to be clear that I am not an expert on food waste. It's just something I've spent a lot of time thinking about, talking about with friends, and working on. And it's still something that I'm continually learning about. So today, I hope this conversation with Megan will be a good space to continue learning and that it provides the same to folks who are listening. So as I mentioned earlier, I'll be talking with a good friend of mine, Megan, And Megan's someone that I've worked alongside in several different capacities around food rescue and distribution, and she's someone that I've learned a lot from. So today, I'm hoping we'll be able to take a really critical look at food waste and common solutions and discuss ways we can engage in this work that go beyond um, a capitalist framework. Well, hi, Megan. I'm super excited you were able to join us today. Um, Do you want to start by maybe introducing yourself and sharing uh, any information about yourself or the work you've done? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Megan. I'm a differently able settler living here on the Kwangan territory. I've spent most of my life before now growing up on Squamish Nation territory and have ancestral history extending to Italy, Scotland, and England. I became involved in community organizing around food as a continuation of a pretty early passion for sustainability. But Over my years actually doing this work, I've come to recognize food as central to community and social justice. So I suppose you could say I came to organizing around food waste for the sustainability implications and stayed for the role in communal orientated social emancipation. I've organized Uh, in a few different communities uh, involving the community cabbage, vulture culture, pancakes not pipelines, the walk for the Salish Sea, community food support, and recently an initiative to implement community fridges, which both you and I are pretty excited to be working on right now. And uh, yeah, not all but most of the food organizing work I do involves working closely with waste, specifically using food waste as a resource to respond to food insecurity, which is a strategy that exists within the gaps of a capitalist food system. So I'm excited to continue a conversation about food waste and about capitalism with hope to extend the organizing work that we do to one that exists outside of capitalism. And yeah, because you and I both know that feeling all too well of being pretty stoked to find a bunch of beautiful broccoli in a dumpster 
while simultaneously feeling sad and angry and upset that it was there in the first place. So, yeah, I'm excited to unpack the emotions and the concepts behind that. And, yeah, big thanks to you and to the Youth Food Network for creating a space for this conversation for this conversation yeah totally um thank you so much for that introduction my next question for you is uh supposed to be more of a fun question so I know you quite well and I know that you're someone that really doesn't like to waste food and like I really mean that Megan is someone that doesn't like to waste food and because of that you're often making really like creative concoctions with food that you've rescued or um, dumpster dived and I've gotten to eat a lot of those things that you've made but I wanted to ask what has been the most like memorable recipe or food that you've created using food that would have otherwise gone to waste um yeah I think that's definitely very fair to say um I've recognized I've made a little bit of a reputation for myself in this uh this regard (laughs) I think I'm most notorious for putting a leftover apple crumble in a blender and offering um apple spiced oat smoothies to my friends while at a party um (laughs) But my personal favorite, um, and something that I make pretty frequently, is what I call hummus cookies, which is really just adding some more dry and savory ingredients to hummus that is getting a bit tired, and then um, just baking it in the oven as if it were chocolate cookies or something. And those are pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I think I tried the apple crumble smoothie, but I I don't think I've had the hummus cookies yet. Okay, I'll make it match. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I hope one day maybe I'll get to try them. Cool. Yeah, so I guess what our sort of topic is today is is talking about how food waste and capitalism really interact and are intertwined. So I guess something we talked about beforehand was how me and you have both done sort of a lot of work and organizing around food waste, but how complicated it sometimes felt doing this work while sort of like trapped within a capitalist system. And I wanted to ask you how you think capitalism and food waste interact and how that interaction affects the work that we do. Yeah, that's that's incredibly important. The intersection of food waste and capitalism is a really, really vital and important one to understand. So uh, I think I may just take this back for a minute and really try to explain why food waste is located within capitalism. So capitalism is supposed to be an economic model that structures labor and goods and the exchange of those within our society um, organized around their principles of profit, efficiency, and individualization. Mm-hmm. But capitalism has become a lot more than just an economic system. And it's become a really big part of our social system as well. So we now can recognize those same principles of profit, efficiency, and individualization in the way that society is organized. So in the context of food waste, it's neither profitable nor efficient to redistribute or prevent food waste. So what doesn't often happen And then we can look at the incredible amounts of edible food going to waste. And we can objectively recognize that it's irrational and that it's unacceptable. But then we can understand how our economic and social system is largely governed by capitalism. And we can look at food waste through this framework 
and understand how it becomes rational and it becomes normalized. And I think that understanding is kind of at the root of the issue. And to me, it was really um, useful to understand why that's there. Um, Because like, I'm often at a loss for words why some like why this beautiful food is thrown out and Mm -hmm. I think that looking at it through the eyes of capitalism gives me the explanation that I need as to why it exists so I can begin to um, organize in a way that counters that and can help it um, not exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Thank you for sharing that. I feel very similarly. And I know, like, over the years of um, being in dumpsters and um, just doing any sort of work around food waste, there's so many moments like that where it just it seems so hard to rationalize, like why we're looking at these like colossal amounts of food waste like in our in our own city so I think yeah bringing in the like an understanding of capitalism and like a capitalist framework is pretty important to understanding why in some lenses that it is rational for the food to be thrown out and how that is rationalized so thank you for explaining that um yeah I guess the next thing I wanted to talk about was sort of in terms of solutions to food waste and one of those solutions that I've heard a lot of talk about recently is is food banks. And uh, it's been pretty widely recognized that food banks are sort of a band-aid solution for food insecurity in that it still leaves people sort of reliant on external aid to be able to access food and they don't have full agency or autonomy over maybe when they're getting food or what food they're getting. Uh, so then what I've been hearing a lot of talk about is that income is the better solution. And and that way folks can have more control over when they're getting food, where they're getting food, uh, what kind of food they're getting. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually, because I do agree that income is is a better solution for food insecurity than providing physical food, just because it does give people more of that autonomy. And I think that's really important. But I've also been sort of thinking about how we still need to be a little bit critical of income-based solutions because they're still so wrapped up in a capitalist system. So I think what you were talking about earlier is really important to pull in because if we're recognizing that capitalism is the system that is sort of rationalizing so much food waste and in my opinion, just like rationalizing a really broken and fragmented food system that we're so disconnected from I think it's important to discuss like why we should be a little bit critical of income-based solutions so I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that uh yeah definitely could not agree with you more the solution to capitalism is definitely not more capitalism um And I recognize there is a lot of nuance in that conversation, but ultimately to solve an issue rooted in capitalism, we need to be looking outside of capitalism for a solution. So Mm -hmm. I think what we're getting at here is the difference between food security and food sovereignty. Food banks and other food donation programs often address food insecurity, which is entirely necessary and important because there is immediate need to access food in a low barrier way right now because people are food insecure right now. But what these organizations may not be emphasizing is food sovereignty. And being food sovereign means you have the agency and the say in the process of accessing foods that are aligned to your preference and to your culture. So the irony here is that encouraging food sovereignty 
is actually a long-term solution for food insecurity. It's kind of like that colloquial saying where you can give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day, or you can teach someone to fish and they'll eat for life. So to appropriately respond to a lapse of food sovereignty, the emphasis should be on providing tools and knowledge instead of creating a dependence on direct food donations. But this is in no way to say that food banks should be responsible for creating solutions located in food sovereignty. Food banks are doing, and other programs like food banks, are doing an absolute vital service right now of responding to the food security, food insecurity that exists. Um, and they are already at capacity. So to add more responsibility onto them, I really don't think is the way forward either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for all that input. I think the distinction you made between food security and sovereignty is really important in this context because I think, yeah, there's there's usually a disproportionate focus on immediate food security, which obviously is incredibly important, but definitely feels necessary to bring in um, looking at food sovereignty as well. And I also definitely wanted to echo and agree with what you said at the end about how food banks are doing, you know, what's important work and are often, you know, underfunded and at their capacity. And something else that that reminded me of is something I read recently about nonprofits that I think can be applied to looking at, at food banks and how they work right now. And what I was reading is about how nonprofits sort of are, in a lot of cases, working to mitigate the worst effects of capitalism. So in this case, we could look at how capitalism causes massive, massive amounts of food waste and wealth disparity. So people aren't able to afford the food that they want and need, and therefore is causing food insecurity. And then um, nonprofits like food banks are mitigating this food insecurity by providing food to those most impacted by what are really the effects and like devastations of capitalism. So in some ways, yeah, definitely food banks are really important for people to survive right now. But at the same time, I think it's important to look at how these organizations are sort of passively I don't want to say they're passively allowing this to continue because that's obviously not the intention, but I think these organizations are sort of hot. Their operations sort of distracts from the fact that the cause of this, the root cause of this insecurity is coming from capitalism and that they're sort of mitigating its very worst effects, but these disparities will continue okay wait i might need to restart this whole thing yeah so something something else that i've read about recently is how nonprofits, and in this case i think it's very applicable to food banks work to sort of mitigate the worst effects of capitalism well i think in this case we can look at how capitalism causes such massive amounts of food waste and rationalizes that how capitalism causes immense wealth disparity where so many people are unable to have the financial means to purchase food that they want and food that they need. And then you have nonprofits like food banks that sort of mitigate these effects, uh, these really terrible effects of capitalism by providing sort of emergency food to people who are most impacted uh, by these effects, side effects of capitalism, and not even side effects. These are like major, like central effects of capitalism. And I think, like we were saying earlier, that food banks sort of are a band aid. Um, at the same time, I think they're sort of the existence of food banks works to sort of clean up after capitalism. 
And when capitalism is leaving this like trail of disparity and food insecurity and all these other inequalities that we have in our society, nonprofits can kind of come in and deal with the worst of that and balance it out a tiny bit so that people maybe have the means to survive. But I think, yeah, it's important to look critically at how this is sort of, again, like working as a Band-Aid solution and how we can imagine more sustainable and autonomous like community-based responses to deal with these problems like food insecurity. So yeah, I guess it sort of brings me to my next question. And both of us have chatted a lot today about situating food waste within uh, a capitalist framework that we're sort of being forced into. So I think we've done a little bit of that today. And something I wanted to touch on is that there's usually a lot of talk about food waste that's based on individual food waste and food waste on a household level. So I wanted to ask how you see this sort of individualization of food waste as potentially harmful. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, The individualization of responsibility is an incredibly frustrating tactic of capitalism. Consumers are fed the narrative that we have agency to stop food waste by not letting the spinach in our fridges wilt and by eating our bananas before they get brown. But don't worry if they do, because you can just make banana bread. You know, <laughs> like, like that kind of dialogue. And yeah, totally, absolutely, we can do those things. But that is not where the revolution of a wasteful food system will exist. The amount of waste that exists on a corporate and industrial scale is incredible and cannot be compared to that of a household. And another aspect of that individualistic narrative is cost. We are told that we can save money by not wasting food. And again, this is true but it pales in comparison to the cost of food wasted on those corporate and industrial levels. And the cost of their waste is not bared by them. It's deflected onto us as the consumer. The Mm -hmm. price of the food that these corporations and industries know they're going to waste is actually built into the price of the food that we buy. So as consumers, we can imagine that our food bills are 40% higher than they would be if food waste did not occur on that same level. So essentially, as consumers, we're paying for the food we eat, we're paying for the food we might eat, and we're paying for the food that we don't. So the narrative of individualization negates corporate responsibility while simultaneously making us feel like we're the problem and therefore must also be the solution. Mm-hmm. But then if we flip the side of this narrative, it would suggest that these capitalist corporations or the government solve the issue. And although I do believe in an ideal world, it would there it would be their responsibility and they would want to do this. But I'm also very disenchanted from the idea that they will. <laughs> so I think a mediator between the individual and the capitalist food system is the community. And in my experience, This is the level in which change really occurs. Mm -hmm. So as we continue this conversation, that's the experience um, I'll be speaking from because it's what I've been informed from. And uh, yeah, just really advocating for that community level um, embedded in the food system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... 
think that's a, a great sort of lens to be using to think about this kind of thing. And very related to the sort of next question. I know both of us have spent like quite a lot of time engaging in food rescue and distribution on a community scale. And yeah, I do think that a lot of this work can have a pretty immediate positive impact on folks. And like something for me that's really pertinent is the work that we've both done through community food support, sending hampers out into the community. And I think even that, um, I've thought a lot about how that can is also sort of a band-aid in certain ways. I think it, it does provide, you know, some room for agency and autonomy for folks who are receiving the hampers, but in a lot of ways I, I don't think that's the it's not our end goal. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about how we can continue to do this work, recognizing that we are sort of trapped within this capitalist food system and how we can be meeting the immediate need that we know folks in the community have for food, but simultaneously also be working towards creating more equitable and just food systems. So I wanted to ask what you think that might look like, like how we can balance these two things and not get, you know, stuck with just band-aid solutions over and over again, but how we can expand beyond that without sort of abandoning people in the short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great question. Um this question engages a theme that I've spent a lot of time with um, in different contexts as well as in a food system context. In my undergrad, I studied sociology and really focused on social change. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about here. Like, we are specifically talking about food systems and food waste, but we're also trying to locate that in social change, and we are trying to change it, and that will take social change. So here we are. Um, so the most important insight I took from my undergrad, um, is concisely summed up by the title of a book that one of my favorite profs introduced me to, and that title is Oppose and Propose, and it's a book written by Andrew Cornwell. The title Oppose and Propose, and much of the content of the book emphasizes the importance of duality in social change movements. And this sentiment asserts that a successful movement must both oppose something, which in this case is a capitalist food system and the waste it produces, as well as proposing an alternative which in a lot of the work we do is community-based food rescue and redistribution. So essentially there's my entire degree in three words, (laughs) pose and propose. Um, Yeah, on opposing capitalism and proposing the many different ways we can be existing as an alternative to capitalism. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump in for a second. One, I wish I could sum up my degree. (laughs) I would feel really good about that if I could. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, And I also just wanted to, yeah, like I think the oppose and propose sort of framework is really cool. And um, something I, I feel like I don't see enough of always um I've spent a lot of time being mad about Mm -hmm. things mad about how the food system works mad about how a lot of other systems in our society work to harm people and maybe not enough time thinking about how I can like work 
through my own life and my own relationships to like embody the different kind of society and communities that I want to see so I think the propose part is really important and I would even say like propose and and just start doing it like um propose almost I'm thinking that in my brain I'm like we can even jump one farther than that and just start like embodying the the work we want to see and the like way we want to see people be in community with each other so I just wanted to add that but totally yeah Mm -hmm. and we could even just knock it down and there we go is my degree in the one word propose (laughs) um and I think that also touches well kind of sums up the concept of prefiguration and really just participating in the world that we want to see and kind of like skipping over the whole bit of opposing the horrendous and huge systems that we're up against and just Mm -hmm. like you know throwing up a garden in the middle of a concrete parking lot like really just making the moves and maybe that that's not a literal example but making the moves that we want to come to life right now Mm So bringing that back to your question, um, how can we simultaneously work towards change and conduct the work we do? I would say that we already are at least beginning to. So for me, the question becomes how to expand and extend this work because I think we're doing a really great thing using a plurality of community-based and involved programs to provide access while redistributing food that would otherwise be wasted. I think that's a spot-on movement. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize the reality of this is that we haven't completely and absolutely just obliterated capitalism yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Yet is key. (laughs) and I believe that's because the structure of what we're opposed to being capitalism is so huge and it's not yet balanced by what we're proposing so what I'm looking at is how we can shift the social balance and really encourage everyone to participate in the alternatives that exist out there in the way of proposition and disengage from the systems that we're opposed to in capitalism. And I'm looking at this in kind of three ways right now, which are all embedded in that concept of opposition and proposition. So one aspect would be to really just keep doing what we're doing because that's kind of where we're at right now in the process of changing the food system. Capitalism is harmful on an immediate level, so our response needs to be immediate. So yeah, right now I think a lot of our work is just holding off the work, the worst of capitalism. But I also believe that's the appropriate response to the current situation. These band-aid solutions give us an opportunity to catch our breath and to build capacity to extend our work beyond band-aiding and towards change. So I think another aspect would be to encourage food sovereignty. So bringing that back to what I was talking about before, we can do this by organizing community-based food initiatives that locate people who receive aid into the process of creating aid. So we're redefining aid as a mutual process and not a dependent one. And I think the aspect that completes this trio for me um, 
would be to make communal the means of production. A lot of work that we're both doing right now exists in the consumer and the consumption areas of the food system. So another approach to changing that food system would be restructuring the capitalist means of production. Mm-hmm. And I think this point really gets at um, that earlier sentiment you were expressing of feeling stuck in capitalism. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is because our resources that we use in these programs does depend on capitalist waste. Yeah. But if we could also reclaim the means of production and pull those out of capitalism and have more agency and more power within production as well, we wouldn't be dependent on the capitalist food system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think those are a great <laughs> three points. I'm just sitting here thinking about everything you just said. So thank you. Um. And additionally, I don't think any of these responses will be a singular approach or a magic bullet or anything like that that we're often looking for as a solution for social problems. But again, to solve issues rooted in capitalism, we need to respond entirely outside of capitalism So not with a monolithic structure that attempts to respond to every need, but in a collaboration of many different smaller food systems that are able to appropriately and fully respond to the needs of folks that create and use them, which will look different in every community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everything you shared in terms of these three ways you so nicely articulated on how to do this work without you know sort of allowing ourselves to feel trapped and to find ways to sort of build beyond it while meeting folks immediate needs is so important because I think what I was saying earlier about how I have at times in my life felt like I am doing more maybe to oppose than propose or build alternatives is in the past year I've sort of like done a flip of understanding how important that second piece is because I think when you have this conversation and going into it we sort of knew that we were both pretty much on the same page we're like capitalism is a problem here and we're gonna dissect why and and talk about how it you know, intersects with food waste. And I think for a lot of folks who might listen to this, that also rings true to them and their experience. But I think like we need to recognize that for many, many people out there, they don't have the same uh, outlook on how capitalism is creating this harm and how uh, it's necessary to, to move beyond this framework. But I think really in order to be you know building a more autonomous food system that's going to serve everyone better we need as many people as we can and I think a big piece of that is showing folks the alternatives that are possible and demonstrating that a different way of organizing our lives and our relationships with each other and with our food is possible and that we can do it and what that might look like and you know planting that seed because I think for it's it's really easy to feel like it's not possible sometimes Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to not be able to envision what that might look like because we were born into this and For a lot of us, we haven't been exposed to many alternatives or um, different ways of thinking. So I I think, yeah, providing some like ideas and starting points for what that might look like can be crucial for building just a a better understanding and, and building 
a community that wants to work towards these things together. Totally. I think there's a lot of power in that shift from focusing on opposition um, to proposition um, is really important and powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. But focusing on opposition can feel really daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to know where to start. And it's easy to start feeling disempowered, like, oh, what does it matter if um, I got this box of produce from a dumpster when there's going to be three more boxes of produce there within the next hour? Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of dialogue can feel really, um, yeah, disempowering. Mm -hmm. But shifting your focus from that into a more prefigurative and propositional um, outlook on change is really powerful. And Mm -hmm. also recognizing the ways that, that there already are alternatives like there are so many countercultures mm-hmm, totally. to a capitalist food system and yeah it's, it's not always easy to see those because that's not this big structure that we're used to seeing but they are there and paying attention to them and getting excited and getting engaged in those countercultures is a big part of that, I think, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I relate a lot to what you're saying about how the opposition or, or working against something can feel really draining. Mm-hmm. It can feel hard not knowing if you're moving forward or, or making change or mm-hmm. if you've managed to disrupt anything able to fill these different roles because I think trying to fill the role of opposing all the time Mm -hmm. is is gonna just suck the life out of anyone after a while and it is important work but I think it's it's good to be able to engage in building work sometimes and be able to like find joy in that definitely yeah so that's something that's been important to me in the last year for sure definitely yeah it's really important to have that duality and to feel like you have a community with you when you're engaging in that work Mm -hmm. not alone in these feelings of coming up against this really intimidating capitalist structure um, but then you're also not alone in the joy of creating alternatives. And I feel like that's another strength of community um, that isn't there in capitalism is that when you're in community, you're not alone. And that's a, something to celebrate. That's an incredibly joyful process of social change when we're approaching it from the community level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we've kind of gone through all of uh, what we'd planned to talk about and I've kind of gone off here, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I guess before we wrap it up, is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about? Um, yeah, I, I kind of just wanted to talk about how, um, the process of listening to these podcasts in this series, um, put on by the Youth Food Network in the Spreading Conversations has been really nice for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and it really ties into what we were just talking about, about the joys of community. Um, and especially in this work, since the pandemic, I've been feeling kind of without that community and not in every regard, but in some ways, like we're not, you know, communally doing the same tasks that we used to, like um, the community cabbage that I would volunteer mm-hmm. in for three or four times a week for the past five years of my life. Um, mm-hmm. 
can't happen in the same capacity. And yeah, to bring that back to the podcasts, um, hearing a lot of familiar voices um, that I've organized with in these communities and that um, people are talking about projects that I've been a part of or that I've heard about or and I'm just hearing about. It's brought me back to that sense of community. And um, yeah, I feel more inspired now to um, kind of get behind the work that I've been doing and remember that I am not in it alone and there is a community all working towards this. So yeah, just thanks again for sharing these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that um, the podcast was something that, yeah, you could enjoy and that you had some familiar voices. I know I did too. Um, and some of the episodes that have been made so far. And I'm sure lots of people will listen to this one and feel the same about hearing you talking. So it's full circle. Uh-huh. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, well, yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we finish? Well, I was kind of thinking, I mean, my brain tends to work pretty metaphorically sometimes. Um, I did write down a metaphor about this shift and kind of it's about boats. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, that's the kind of context we're going for it. I don't know if we need a boat metaphor or not. Let's hear it. All right. Okay. <laughs> Here is the uh, the boat metaphor. So imagine the industrial, conventional, capitalist food system is this big boat, a monolithic vessel that is organized on profit, efficiency, and individualization. It moves pretty fast, and for those who can't keep up, they just get thrown overboard and they're expected to fend for themselves. But this boat can't continue on its course because it's been fueling itself on finite resources and it's running on an economic system that is failing. But the captains of this ship won't recognize that um, because they benefit tremendously from keeping it going as per usual. Um, So they really have no interest in stopping the ship or helping people get onto ships that support them in a a way that their ship cannot. So... And then that's all opposition, right? Like, that's that's kind of what we what we don't. Um, but then in come these lifeboats, which in this metaphor are the countercultures, the grassroots programs, the community organized movements. And these lifeboats are created by and for those left out of the capitalist ship. And there's many different lifeboats because they're all organized differently so they can appropriately respond to the specific needs of people on them. And eventually, the goal here is to get everyone off of the capitalist ship and on board with these lifeboats that can respond to situations um, with more fluidity, that can be diverse, and they can meet um, the resilient needs of communities. And um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of um, in a not so literal sense, that is a demonstration of how I think this shift could occur. Cool. Thank you for sharing. I feel like that's probably pretty helpful because I I sometimes forget like for me I've talked about capitalism so much at this point like a sickening amount really Uh that I'm quite 
comfortable discussing it, but it's like a very complex concept to actually understand how it works on a day to day. And yeah, it's not it's not something that like four years ago, I really had a strong grasp of what it meant. And yeah, I think it's important to try to explain it in in different ways that aren't just like, you know, me regurgitating my poli sci (laughs) class. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we're wrapping up this episode. So thank you so much to Megan for chatting with me today. It was awesome to get to talk to you like this about uh, some of the work that you've done and some of the things that we've done together. And thanks for coming on the podcast. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll see you at the next um, Zoom Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Sprouting Conversations. If you liked what you heard, hit like, subscribe, and send it to a friend who might be interested.